So this is the second week in this passage, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 31. We'll be in it again next week. But what we're learning is that the natural tendency of the human heart is to trust human wisdom. And by the way, when I use the word human wisdom and philosophy, I'm going to be using them interchangeably. So if you hear one or the other, I'm saying the same thing. The natural tendency of the human heart is to trust human wisdom rather than the wisdom of God. And Paul begins the letter to the Corinthians by instructing them not to rely upon philosophy, not to rely upon human wisdom when it comes to spiritual matters. Now, the church wasn't just, they weren't throwing out the Bible and saying, we're just going to trust human wisdom. There are congregations and denominations that do that. They don't even use the Bible. The Bible is written by man and it's not reliable. So we're going to talk about the environment today. We're going to talk about social justice today or whatever else. That's not what they were doing. Rather, they were trusting God for salvation, but they were adding philosophy to it. And look at what Paul said in verse number 18. Look very carefully. He said this, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Why? Why, why, why? Lest the cross be emptied of its power. According to Paul, um, the, the, to mix philosophy and the word of the cross is disastrous. When you mix philosophy and the gospel, it empties the cross of all its power. It's kind of like meringue. Now, I don't know much about cooking. I like food. But I know that if you get a little bit of the yolk or a little bit of fat or something like that in the meringue, what happens to it? It falls. You all know. You, you've had it done happen to you before, right? I'm just kidding. So, But uh, it, just, it just completely fails. Any little bit in, in anything added to the cross of Christ and it's your work, not God's. Think about it. It's as simple as add any human philosophy to the gospel and it loses its power. If people can be saved because if your gospel presentation is better than someone else's, then the power belongs to you, not God, doesn't it? If, if there are techniques that people have discovered to make people just want to trust God, then as a human, what are you going to trust? Are you going to trust the technique or are you going to trust God to save them? See, you add anything to the gospel and it robs of its power. If one person preaches the gospel in such a way that many people make decisions, then who gets the credit? Oh, well, he's just a powerful preacher rather than saying, praise the Lord, he opened the... the, It's like the, the book of Acts. God opened the ears and heart of Lydia, the seller of purple, so that she could hear the gospel and respond to it and be saved. You see what I'm saying? Anything added to the gospel, and it robs it of its power. You know, the same could be said uh, to be true of child rearing. So many parents, Christian parents, want their children to turn out right, want them to believe and trust in God. And so they think to themselves, if I do X and Y, I'm going to get Z. Well, when you do that, who are you trusting for your child rearing? Are you trusting in Christ or are you trusting in a technique? Frankly, if you choose any kind of a method to, to raise your children, it's, it's just legalism. That's, that's all it is. You know, when we think about child rearing, as a matter of fact, I, I'm going to park there for just a minute. Can I park on child rearing for just a minute? I can because I'm in charge. And this is a long and rambling message. So I can do whatever I want. Um, think, think about what verse number 18 says. 
add any human wisdom to the, the gospel, the cross of Christ, the word of God, and it robs of its power, what does that look like in parenting? What does it look like to raise your kids according to the word of the cross? Have you ever wondered that, parents, grandparents, whatever it is? Well, here, let me give you some ideas. Number one, you trust the power of God and not human techniques. You live the gospel, the message of the word in front of your children. Not only do you trust that power, you've got to live it. Okay? Number three, Jesus' talk is natural to you. You speak of the word. You speak of Jesus in front of your children. It's just a natural part of your lives. And so... By by extension, if you think about that, that means that you have to be in God's Word. And if you're in God's Word and it's changing you, then you can live it and you can talk it in front of your children. Number four, you discipline in love and not out of frustration. And that's just what God does, isn't it? He lovingly disciplines us. And then number five, you pray like everything depends upon God because it does. It literally depends upon God. You These things show you're dependent upon God and His Word to change your children's hearts. You are praying to God, God, I cannot change my child's heart. Only you can do that. Lord, please change his or her heart, right? That's what parenting looks like by the cross of Christ. To depend upon Christian or secular parenting techniques or to rear your child, it's absolute foolishness. No human parenting technique has ever uh, saved a child. Uh, There's been many since I've been a a Christian adult I see. And I'm not going to name them, but I've seen it. I I remember when our kids were small, there was one fantastically famous child-rearing technique that went all through Christendom. And I remember hearing the couple say, well, you know, this is what I do. It's so rigid, and this is what I do with my children, this is what I do. And people go, oh, yeah, I I ought to try that. And there was no talk about the power of God in raising their children. It was was just legalism. That's all it is. Our three adult children, by the grace of God, are following the Lord right now. And I guarantee you that it's not because of me and it's not because of Heather. If it's anybody's her, not me anyway. But I literally, I thank the Lord. because, And I'll tell you why my children didn't turn out right because of me. Because at best, I'm an unfaithful servant. And at best, you're an unfaithful servant as well, right? And so what do we do? We, who are unfaithful, and God is completely faithful, we fall on our knees before Him and we say, Lord, help me to live Your Word in front of my kids. Help me to teach Your Word in front of my children. Help my children's hearts to turn to You. And I've literally had those moments when I've cried out to God in desperation saying, God, if You don't change my child's hearts, their heart will not be changed because You're the only one that can change my child. And when they turn out loving God, you don't sit back and say, hey, look at me. I'm such a great parent. Come, I'll, I'll teach a class. But rather, you say, thank the Lord that I didn't warp them like I could have. <laughs> right? Isn't that what it is? Whether it's the gospel in, um, in uh, salvation or the gospel in child rearing, you allow God to do his work through his word. Folks, why would we want to empty the, the, the gospel of its power? 
God's power is such so much greater than ours. And yet we have a hard time trusting Him, don't we? I do. I, I have to learn that lesson all the time. Trust God. Trust God. Uh, and and his word his word comes true and so what paul is doing is he's arguing for the wisdom of god over the wisdom of man and last week we saw that the wisdom of god is better than philosophy number one because god's wisdom is permanent human wisdom is perishing it's passing away and those who follow instead of following the gospel are on their way to destruction. Man's wisdom um, has taught us that all we need to do is, is to appease the pantheon of gods and life will be grand. Well, let me ask you a question. Where is the, the, the worship of the Roman and the Greek gods today? The pantheon didn't work out so well for them, did it? Man's wisdom then taught that with science, man is getting better and better. And, and with science and with our knowledge and how, how profound we are, our society is just going to get better and better. And then there's this little thing called World War I. And then it's quickly followed up by World War II. And guess what? We learned that the more we educate a man, it just allows that corruption to do more damage to everybody around them. And so then... So then um, we have the secularist today. And the secular person says, well, the pantheon didn't work. Science didn't work. And since there's no God, you just have to make your own utopia. And in the words of Luke 12, 19, they say, just relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But the problem with life is that life isn't per- perfect. And there's always something that disrupts that utopia. There's always something that gets in the end. Like some of my friends from Providence were at the Nationals World Series game when it should have been the Cardinals World Series game. And it just, it, your, your utopia gets disrupted. There's always something, some kind of disruption. Proverbs 13, 13 remains true. You know what it says? It says, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself. And the secularists and the scientific people and the people trusting other gods, in the end, their life is perishing. It's headed for destruction. And so, so God's wisdom is permanent. We learned also that human wisdom will never bring us to God. Verse 21 says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. As I said earlier, if salvation could only come through wisdom or intelligence or ingenuity, then this sanctuary, listen to what I'm about to say, if it came through human wisdom and human intelligence, this would be an empty sanctuary and you'd have a different pastor up here. Because I'm not wise. Because I'm not smart. Because I'm not as great as God. But instead, the sanctuary is full because God in His great power and wisdom brings us to Himself. It's God that does all the work. And so He gets all the glory, not humans. The content of God's message is the gospel. That Where He says the word of the cross, it's the gospel, it's the power of God. The content is Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul's not talking about foolish preaching when he says it pleased him through the foolishness of preaching to save some. No, but the preaching of the gospel in the world's eyes, now that's foolish. You mean to tell me that the message of a guy who died 2,000 years ago and supposedly was resurrected, 
that that is the power that all you Christians are believing, and they view that as complete foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it's, it's the wisdom and work and glory of God Almighty. But the blessing that is given to people is not through man or not through philosophy, not through intellectual understanding, human wisdom. It, that's not how salvation comes. But it says, save those who what? Believe. The blessing comes through believing. God only saves those who believe. Man can't figure out salvation. They can only accept it by faith. Speaking of belief, look at verse number 22 for just a minute, will you? There's two main types of unbelief when we talk about this matter of belief. We see it, verse number 22, for the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we Preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. There's two groups of people with unbelief. The first one, represented by the Jews, are those who demand a sign. These are the people today who would say this, and you've heard these kind of people probably, if only God would show me proof that he exists, I'll get saved. Right? If And in his wisdom, God never made it so that signs would save anybody. We see this illustrated over and over in Jewish history. Do you realize that for 40 straight years, God parted the Red Sea? God made water come out of a rock. God turned um, the rain bread from heaven so they would eat miraculously every morning. During the daytime in the hot Sinai wilderness, he was a cloud that covered all of the Israelites so they didn't burn up. And at night, he was a pillar of fire, and that pillar would move. And he fought, and he brought thunderstorms and and hailstorms upon their enemies. And on and on and on, and for 40 years this went on, sign after sign after sign. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse number 5 says, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for the overthrown in the wilderness. Think about Jesus' ministry. If salvation could come through signs, how come the whole nation of Israel did not get saved during Jesus' time? He performed sign after sign after sign, and yet they weren't con- convinced. And by the way, what if he gave in to their demands for signs? He, they, they demanded a sign. He said, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. As, as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the well, so the Son of Man will be three days and nights in the ground. And they'll come back, right? But could you imagine that? Hey, Jesus, hey, turn the, turn the sun blue. Hey, Jesus, do this sign for me. Why don't you turn upside down, sip out of a straw, and then fly like a bird. And they come up with all sorts of things. It would be just a regular circus act, wouldn't it? But God, in his wisdom, does not save people through signs. In a story of Lazarus and the rich man, do you remember that one? Jesus, in the parable, the rich man went to hell, and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment, and he, he told Abraham, just send Lazarus back to witness to my brothers, and they'll get saved. And Jesus said this, he said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, talking about the Old Testament, Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And a few months later, there was a literal man named Lazarus who rose from the dead in Bethany right outside Jerusalem. And what was the response of all the people in Jerusalem? Did they all get saved? No. 
Rather, the hardened hearts of the uh, Jewish leaders wanted to kill Jesus, and they did crucify him, by the way. And they also decided, look, this guy is proof of his power, and so we've got to kill Lazarus too. So signs do not bring somebody to salvation. Just remember that. To them, by the way, to the Jews, Jesus was to come in earthly power and splendor and establish an earthly throne and kingdom. And, and such clear messianic teachings that, that as such as those found in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, they, they were explained away or ignored because in their system, there could be no suffering Messiah. And so they reinterpreted or just sidestepped it altogether. But there's another type of unbeliever. That was represented by the Greeks or, the, or later on the Gentiles. He uses that word interchangeably. They wanted proof through human wisdom. They wanted an intellectual discussion. You ever had those kind of people around? Well, if you can just prove to me through logic and through history that there was an actual Jesus and that he actually rose again, hey, I will come and, and be saved. Well, those kind of people are insincere. Paul discovered them in Athens. The Greek philosophers were there were not interested in discovering truth, especially not truth about God. They were only interested, according to Acts 17.22, to hearing and arguing about exciting new ideas and problems. They had no interest in seeking eternal truth uh, to believe and accept and follow. The wisdom they sought was not divine wisdom and eternal wisdom, but human temporary wisdom and philosophy. Now, you, you might have met those people. You know, look, if you, I will only believe in Jesus if you can prove to me that he existed scientifically, logically, or whatever else. To these, the people, the idea that God became incarnate and died and rose again is absurd. Yet these are the same people. By the way, they, they talk about the absurdity of it all, right? That Jesus, that you mean to tell me somebody was resurrected? And yet those are the same people that believe that our whole universe came from a microscopic kernel singularity that fell out of another universe. That sounds like the Avengers movie series or something to me. I don't know. It's like they watch the Avengers and decide, hey, that's a great idea. That's what I'm going to believe. And so they're, they're just as ridiculous if you want to look at it that way. Paul would only preach Christ crucified and the, the only true sign and the only true wisdom. Those who would not believe the sign or accept that wisdom will not accept God. And to those who seek other signs than the cross, it's a stumbling block. And to those who seek other wisdom, it's foolishness. The only message a Christian has to tell is the message of the cross. The God and the Son of God becoming man, of His dying to pay the penalty for our sins, and of His being raised from the dead in order that people might be saved. That's the message of the cross. God's wisdom is better than human wisdom because it's permanent and because it brings us to God. And third, it's better than human wisdom because it displays God's power. Let's look at verses 22 to 25 here. But to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That's where I got my title and my sermon from, the foolishness of God. Now, lest you think that you're way smarter and way wiser than all those people who didn't get saved. This is what Paul's trying to teach them. Lest you think you're smarter, unless you think you're wiser, Paul says 
to those who are called what? What does it say? Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. The message of the cross transforms who? Those who are called. And what is identified as foolishness according to the world? The message of the cross. And according to the world, um, the message of the cross is foolishness. And it's foolish for those who, in the wisdom of God, embrace the cross of Jesus Christ. The good news about Christ crucified and risen and proclaimed to all, but it's only welcomed by those who are the called. We're going to see that in greater detail next week as we look through this. All are invited through the preached word, but only some are drawn by a call that creates faith. So why is the gospel the power of God? Look at verse number 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I love this verse. I love this verse because the theologians argue, okay, is he literally saying that things that are foolish in God's eyes are wiser than men? Or is he, are the, is Paul trying to say that all those who view the things of God as foolishness, that's what he's talking about. And we could spend a long time arguing about that, and I'm not going to. But what's he saying? He's literally saying that the cross turns reality upside down. What is considered wise among human beings is actually foolish in God's sight, right? What is the wisdom of of this world? I went over last week. Hey, you need to buy a house. You need to have a permanent house because houses going up in value. And if you're going to have any kind of retirement, you need to have a house and you need to have a 401k and an IRA. And you need to live a good life because this life is all that there is. And so you need to be happy. And whatever makes you think makes you happy, you need to pursue. Now, there's this man named Solomon. And he wrote a whole book about the pursuits of happiness. Remember that? And what did he say? He said, I pursued wealth. And it all was what? Vanity of vanities. And I pursued um, gardens and botany and science. And it all was what? Vanity of vanities. I pursued wisdom. And I found out that when you get wisdom, there's, there's sorrow because now you realize, are there, any, are there any kids here younger than 10? Hold your ears. There's no Santa Claus. And that just ruins Christmas. And then, and then I pursued all the kind of physical pleasures. I married wives and I had concubines. And, and I pursued food and drink and the best wine and the best food. And I learned that it's vanity and it's foolishness. Everything in its conclusion is everything under the sun is vanity. And if you go pursue everything that this world tells you is wisdom and and the pursuit of happiness, guess what you're going to come up with? Emptiness. That's the foolishness that's turned upside down by the gospel of God. But 
God, in his infinite wisdom, determined that human wisdom would not be the pathway to knowledge of God. If all the creativity and brilliance of human beings led to wisdom or led to salvation, then the praise would belong to the wisest and most gifted human beings. But the message of the cross reverses and undercuts the expectations of human beings. Weakness becomes a, the circuit through which strength is conveyed. And what seems to be foolish, the message of the cross, becomes the vehicle by which wisdom is transmitted. You may ask, why is Paul emphasizing the foolishness of the cross so much? And why are you emphasizing the foolishness of the cross so much? It is because the Corinthians were entranced by human rhetoric and brilliance, and, and they had forgotten the roots of their faith. And so Paul reminds them that the very part of God's plan and work that seems to be the most ridiculous and useless from man's natural standpoint actually exhibits his greatest power and his greatest wisdom. And so you can present the gospel to people, and they may mock you, but don't you worry about it. You're, you're giving them the power of God. Bill Fay who wrote the book, Share Jesus Without Fear. And some of you have been through that course. Bill Fay talks about he was, a, uh, he was involved in the mob, and he went to prison for it. And people all along his life would witness to him. And every time they would share the gospel with him, he would mock them. And yet he said, I remember every single gospel presentation that I ever got. Why? Because there was something going on in my heart. And eventually he got saved. The Lord saved him, and um, and he's an evangelist today. I remember uh, witnessing to the uh, assistant fire chief at the uh, the last place that I was in. I was on the fire department there, and I, I witnessed to him probably three or four different times, and, and I spread it out over a period of about ten years. But I remember one of the times I was I was talking to him about eternity in the gospel. I, I uh, we had just left from a DOA. You guys know what that is, right? And uh, the, the the coroner finally came, and then the funeral director finally came to take the body. And as we're, we're leaving, I was talking to him. I said, hey, Mike, I said, what's your view about eternity? What do you think about eternity? Doesn't this kind of make things a little bit sober? And he looked at me as we're driving back in the ambulance, and he said, he, or we're in the fire truck, I think, and he said, you know what? I remember the last time he talked to me about that. Now, he hadn't gotten saved yet. But he remembers the gospel presentation. And I believe the Lord's working on his heart. But it's foolishness to the world to stand up and say Jesus died to save sinners. That's not, that's not some wise message. That's way too simple. It's got to be, it's got to be more complicated than that. In a way, doesn't it seem ridiculous that reading Scripture, by simply reading Scripture, one can be saved? On the surface, doesn't it seem that way? seems so simple. On the surface, doesn't it seem strange that by hearing the word read, interpreted, and applied can change a person's heart? Yet that's exactly how God ordained it, so that God gets the glory and not man. Think about the, the Corinthians. Who were they? They were a people who added philosophy, human wisdom, to the gospel. And what did it do for them? It was tearing their assembly apart. They were following humans because of some affection for their teaching or preaching styles. They were celebrating the freedom one man had to have an incestuous relationship because that's what the world taught them. Celebrate your sexual freedom. That's what, Didn't that sound familiar, by the way? And they were pulling that human wisdom into their assembly. They were... They, instead of trusting God, they were suing one another for their rights. 
Doesn't that sound like today's human wisdom? If you're not getting what your result, you sue because of your rights. They were continuing to pursue the personal freedom in Christ and offering food to idols, thereby causing weaker Christians to stumble. They were drunken gluttons at the Lord's Supper because that was the spirit of the age. They were pursuing the most notable spiritual giftings in order to gain glory. They were products of their age. They were adding human wisdom to their assembly, and all it was doing was destroying the fellowship. Folks, can I say this? And this is my closing. If Providence Bible Church is going to thrive spiritually, if our unity is going to draw closer to Jesus Christ and lives are going to be changed, the way it happens is through the word of cross, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message, the power of God is in the word of God. And we don't need human wisdom. We don't need, do we need marketing here? You know, you know, there are churches that brand themselves and market themselves. Uh, we, we are the contemporary church. Yep. We have coffee in the lobby. You can come as you are. Come. We're not like all those other churches. What is that? That's human wisdom. Who's getting the glory in that kind of a marketing message? Come hear our pastor. He's a gifted preacher. He's a funny guy. He's innovative, said nobody who's been in my church. (laughs) Who's getting the glory in that case, right? Who's getting the glory? The pastor's getting the glory. When you start doing those things in a church context, then somebody other than God's getting the glory. Instead, why don't you invite the people to hear the stodgy middle-aged guy that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? Invite, the, the biggest compliment a pastor who's following the Lord can get is for somebody to say, please come hear our pastor because he preaches the word of God. Now, the, the pastor should study to give the best message he possibly can to speak in the best way he can and, and all that sort of thing. But he's relying upon the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a church is on Sunday, what a church is in their ministries throughout the week, and what a pastor is on the pulpit on Sunday is due to what he's doing on his knees throughout the week. And that church is doing on their knees throughout the week. They're praying and depending upon the power of God, and they're in the Word of God seeking to obey Him with greater and greater faithfulness and obedience. And when that happens, God is glorified and not a person. Amen. And that's what I want Providence Bible Church to be. I want us to be a church that's in the Word, and I want us to be a church that is praying that God would work in His assembly. And I want Christ glorified because it's the power of the cross that changes people. Lord, There's so many temptations in church ministry, in the Christian life, to just doubt your awesome power. I pray that we won't doubt your power, whether it's in our parenting, our gospel presentations, in our church ministry, in our daily Christian life, whatever it is. Lord, help us to rely 
upon the awesome power of the Word of Christ so that Christ may be glorified. Amen.